Grab your cards, be inviting. Empty seats matter, right? Empty seats matter. We need to be filling this thing up. I'd heard it preached. Knew it was in here. Never doubted it after I got the concept of holiness. Actually changed churches because of the radical optimism of the holiness message. Had experienced transformation to some significant degree in my own life and desired more, but I had never met anyone who smelt like Jesus. The fragrance and aroma of Christ. Entire sanctification. Incarnation of Jesus that I believed was possible was now sitting in front of me. On a sunny fall afternoon in 1990 in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Jen and I sat in the office with a few other couples. We met for the first time, Brother Paul and Barbara Holderfield. And it changed the trajectory of our lives. But it not only changed the trajectory of our lives, it changed the trajectory of our children's lives. It changed the trajectory of possibly hundreds of adults and teenagers, of not only the effect it had on me that maybe never met Brother Paul Sr., some have met Junior, (laughs) but one day, one afternoon, one couple who smelt like Jesus changed everything. Isaiah 54, 2, clear lots of ground for your tents, make your tents large, spread out, think big, use plenty of rope, drive the tent pegs deep, make room today for transformation. We've made room over these last many weeks for the promise, for the change, for the generosity, but it all leads to this. It all leads to the transformation of what Christ wants to do in our lives. As we've read multiple times the last few weeks, Paul's writing in Acts 20, those two verses that we ended up on, verse 20 and 21, but especially, he says, "I, I taught you in public and I taught you in your homes, urging Jews and Greeks alike to a radical life change. Before God and equally radical trust, and our master, Jesus. Our vision at Renovation is all built around this, to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation, not just formation, but transformation, to be salt and light, but to smell like Jesus wherever you're engaged in influencers. The reason why we don't ever believe we'll ever have 100 ministries going on here, because we want to prepare you to be what God's called you to be where you already are. We don't want to drag you out of it. Now, we'll need things done here, and thank goodness you volunteer, and we need volunteers, but we especially need you inviting people to the fall festival or fall kickoff. Okay? We need that. But it's because you can invite them. It's because you're already engaged and influential, and maybe you smell a little bit like Jesus. 
So we're going to encourage you to do that, and we want you to help us with that. But as soon as you start talking about this, you realize, as most of us know, and if you've been in this a long time, like I have, that's, a, that's an awesome vision. I think it's very scriptural. Living it out another story. Not only individually, but as a community. It's a challenge. Dallas Willard says, the problem of spiritual formation among those who identify themselves as Christians today is not that it is impossible or that that means to it are not available. Rather, the problem is, is that it's not intended. People do not see the value of transformation and decide to carry through with it. They do not decide to do the things that Jesus said and did. This is largely due to the fact that they have not been given a vision of life in God's kingdom so that such a decision and intention would make sense. They haven't smelt enough people that smell like Jesus. So it doesn't make much sense. You say, well, if God wanted us to smell like him, why didn't he just do it? Just make us. Oh, and he has a role. He for sure has a role. Matter of fact, you can't do it without it. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us what? Therefore, in view of God's mercies, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves, to choose, to decide. It's a decision you have to make. It's not just sitting back waiting for it to happen. It is a decision we choose to do. Matter of fact, he said this is the most reasonable thing you can do. Matter of fact, if you're not doing that, it doesn't make any sense to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. No longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed, morpho, from the caterpillar to the butterfly. No longer thinking this way. No longer thinking the way that you maybe your set of beliefs. I don't know if any of us come into the world with a set of beliefs. They're formed. That also means they can be renewed, right, and changed. That's good news. Whatever you, if you were here yesterday and you listened to John Haycuff, whatever soundtrack you've been having spinning in your head most of your life, and some of them are extremely detrimental to you and people around you, God can change that. That's good news. That is good news. But then, and most of you know me, I wear you out with this. Then, all that's happened, right? Then, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. How many want to know what God's will is? Test means to know. I mean, I can know what God's will is. And you know what, you know what approve means? It means I literally take it and embrace it. Wouldn't it be awesome no matter where God was calling you or where he was taking you, you knew it and you go, let's go. 
It should be called today, Make Room for Adventure. That's really what this message should be today. Make room for adventure. Because if you slide into it, hang on. Shout out to Stephen Curtis Chapman. (laughs) There's a challenge here, right? I'm going to show you some things today many of you have seen a hundred times. That's my one disclaimer. I'll probably do another ten before it's over with. But George Barna did a study a few years ago. And that study, I think it was 15,000, yeah, 15,000 Americans of all backgrounds did this study. And you begin as a pastor who preaches holiness. You begin, you begin to work on this as a pastor who, who believes in this radical optimism that it's more than a salvation that runs hot or cold or makes you feel guilty most of the time or just barely gets you into heaven, just barely out of hell. But we believe in this transformational, that there is no, it, Wesley says, taking us back to our primitive health. In other words, what we were designed to be in the first place, God can take us back to that, and there almost is no ceiling on what God can do when that happens. But when you read this, and you go, maybe 5% get it? These are born again. We're not talking about the population. of We're talking about born again believers. And so most of us just fall into commitment to faith activities. Or we begin to roll our way back. Because it's really hard to stay in the same place when you're following after Jesus. You're either following after him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or you're not. Now, there's different stages. Don't get me wrong. There's different, there's different points of growth. We talk about it all the time, right, in our ladder. You know, we talk about this illustration all the time. There's, 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 but the, the question is, for most of us, like I said last, last I think it was last week, I was maybe more mature six months into my faith than some people were after following after Christ 30 years because what I had done was if I understood God was showing me to do it, I tried to do it. If I understood it in Scripture and I understood it from other people I trusted and they said, I think you need to do this, I tried to do it. But when you see people who know what they should do and they're not doing it, you wonder which one's the most mature. Anyway, it's not a competition about maturity. Just disclaimer number two. But what they found was number seven, they experienced personal brokenness. Now, let me say this real quick. That's not now. Like that, that when you, Brandon and I tell our testimony. Our testimony is a little different in how we came to know Jesus and what we really committed. He, his would, he, he would say in many ways, and I'm not trying to steal thunder here, it's kind of at the rock bottom. For me, as I shared with you a few weeks ago, it wasn't rock bottom. And what you could see. But both of us were in the same place because we were at rock bottom in here. I didn't know it. He did. I came to know it. <laughs> I came to know it, 
but I didn't know it as well. But the crazy thing about this experience personal brokenness, that continues all the way. There's, a, there's something God will show you now, and he will break you, and he will show you, and he will, they're always saying, if it's not broke, what? Don't fix it. My, I think scripture says if it's not broke, you might need to break it. Because he's looking for a broken and contrite heart. I think I'm preaching the word. Can't give you the reference, but I know it's in there. That never stops. And what stunts our growth is, is that we're not willing to go through the personal brokenness as it comes to us. And we go, and then it's, we talk about with Henry Blackaby. You know, at crisis of belief, God comes along and says, okay, I'm bringing you to this place and you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust me with everything on this. And he begins to stretch you and take you that next rung and you go, no, not going there. For those of you who hate the ladder, God bless you. Third disclaimer. And as I say often, the very thing that you've been praying about for God to do in your life, and you want to lead this ministry, you want to do this and that, it may be on the fifth rung, but you're not willing to leave the second one. Because God transforms. God changes us. He doesn't change. He changes us. But we must offer. And we offer again. It's not that I offered and at the altar at Texarkana First Church of the Nazarene in the fall of 1989. I did. I consecrated the first time I understood the entire sanctification. I did do that. But I had to keep offering. I had to keep offering. And you've seen us use the five C's here at Renovation it's something we work on and talk about and how we're going to put the meat to this as far as some level of discipleship. But it's something the Lord has shown me over the years for me because in this room, I believe everybody falls into one of these five categories. I believe everybody I meet does. That's how I, that's how, I'm not trying to categorize everybody. People self-categorize. People self-identify. But they're ignorant or different or combative about the kingdom of God. They're ignorant. They just don't know. Maybe they have knowledge, but they don't have experiential they're indifferent like I was for almost a decade, hard-hearted, hardened in my heart that God could not move me. And I did the best I could to not even hear what he had to say. I avoided it at all costs. Or something's happened in your life somewhere along the way that you're mad at God, you're mad at the church, you're mad at somebody, but you're mad and you're combative towards the things of God. But then there's a transition, right? You start moving, and all of a sudden, one day, there's this, what we call provenient grace, the grace that goes before salvation, the grace that begins to awaken our spirit to something that we didn't necessarily know that was going on around us. And we begin to cast the question, is it true? Is it true for me? Is it true for me all the time? Yes, it is. God's grace. God's love. God's sacrifice. Then we make the transition to salvation, and we're convinced, and we're comfortable, we're secure, and we should be secure in our faith. We're not a, we are not a theology of insecure faith. We are not. But we have a secure faith. 
But if we're not careful, it's like us getting married, like me getting married. I am real comfortable minding Jen's marriage, but I can sure get complacent. She's never going to leave me. She told me. We're never going to talk about divorce. We're just not even going to be a conversation. So sometimes that actually put, clicks. Like if God says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, you go, well, good then. I got a lot of space to roam. Right? But really what most happens is we're capped. We've got our stunt growth. Our growth is stunt. And guess what? It, it may be capped here. God removes it. There may be something else we have to deal with up here. the stirring begins the awakening begins you begin to make room for something you didn't even know you had more space for you begin to hear and see things like you've never seen before salvation does that also but then there's something you begin to say man I have not let God take over every room of my house I've let him in the foyer I've let him in the living room I've let him in hey maybe in the bedroom in the kitchen but I have not let him in the dresser I've not let him in the in the cabinets I've not let him in those spaces I haven't given him everything And it's hard to imagine when God comes into your life and you let him into the foyer of your life, so to speak, and you let him in and you say he's welcome, but you won't let him in the rest of the house. You're capped. Because we're not willing to go through what was set up there earlier, personal brokenness, to let God have it, even though we think it's crazy. We think it's, man, God, I can't let you have that because I've got control over that. And God begins to break us. And, you know, and really fruit, I have an apple up here. I'm not going to cut it open. But, but, you know, most fruits, you really can't smell it till it's cut open. You can smell the peel, but it doesn't really get much till it's cut, till it's broken. And then the aroma begins to fill up the room. It's got to be broken first. You think you've got fruit of the Spirit or however you want to say it. It's not because you don't experience brokenness on a consistent basis. A daily basis, matter of fact. But sometimes there's big ones. We know it. Like some of you last week, you heard me speak on giving and generosity last week. And you heard me possibly say, and I tried to challenge you at the end, the question is this, if I don't tithe, does God still bless me? Not something I'm going to try to answer for you. Does my pastor still love me? I'd have given up loving people a long time ago if it was based on that. Right? Right? And here's the awesome thing about being transformed into the likeness of Christ, and I'm a long ways from it, but I'm trying. I want to be smelly for Jesus. Okay, I do. But I'm not all the way where I need to be. But one of the things I do know about the love of Christ, if I have the love of Christ in me, it is not dependent on you at all. You could steal money from us, not just, the scripture says you're stealing from God if you're not tired. But anyway, that's beside the point. But you could steal money from renovation, but you can't make me not love you. Not only the fact you're not giving, if that's the case, and I'm not hammering, but, but because it's all dependent on what Christ has done in me. That changes everything. Will renovation still love me? Will I be welcome? Of course you are. But the question I propped to you last week was, but can God trust you? 
This is more than about thinking, can I trust God? The question is, can God trust me with kingdom things? Big things. That's how I feel sometimes. The battery runs out. (laughs) Anybody ever been there? (laughs) What happens when you turn 62? You're just going along and it's gone. That's my life right there. I just want to say here to those who have been faithfully giving at renovation forever since we've been here, thank you. I am grateful more than you know, and I don't say it enough. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for your trust. I am grateful for you, and I want you to know this also. And I believe it's in God's economy. Amount sacrificed always supersedes amount given so we don't, bat, we don't gauge how we interact with you based on that but I will say this just to kind of close the, put a bow on this part of it I love Martin Luther's statement here it said there are three conversions necessary the conversion of the heart conversion of the mind and the conversion of the purse we believe that money is deeply spiritual deeply spiritual and I'm convinced because I believe it's a reflection of our heart towards God ultimately I'm convinced if people are selfish with money you will never get their real contribution to the kingdom you just never will transformation fruit of the spirit which is love and then there's traits of it but I heard an interesting thing the other day and I thought boy that just clicks with me it helps my mind it was almost it was they didn't say it exactly this way the person who was talking about it but it's the habits of Jesus I thought you know that's a an almost a different sometimes we look for the traits go yeah I want that trait and I want that trait of the but what if it's habits of Jesus? What if it's something you got to do too? What if you're not just sitting around waiting? Well, if I do enough things, I'll just be bestowed with kindness, bestowed with forbearance. I'll be bestowed with patience. I'll be bestowed with peace. I'll be bestowed with joy. What if you got to practice it? What if you're part of the transformation? Just what if? You know, we talk about the word around here, the ethos of Christ. We talk about an uncommon, and this is how we define it. It's a spontaneous reoccurring pattern that is the fundamental character and spirit that defines a person or a group ethos. But it's what drives them. It's that underlying conviction that determines the beliefs, values, and worldview of a person and or a community. It has the capacity to influence and shape everything in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what makes them smelly. The fire in the belly where you can become the fragrance and aroma of Christ for the kingdom's sake. It's that spontaneous reoccurring pattern that almost blows out of you without you ever thinking about it. And they go, how do you think about being like Jesus? Maybe I don't. Maybe it's so innate of the things I begin to put in my life. But I want to do disclaimer number four. And hear me clearly. And you've heard it a hundred times at this church. 
I will never try to do what only God can do, and that is transform. But I can help him give the best conditions for him to do what only he can do, the best I understand it. I hope that's my last disclaimer. Okay, I hope. What about the habit of peacemaking? Blessed are the peacemakers. Not peacekeepers, but those who live a life not only with peace with God, but their intent is what Paul talks about, that we have been given, given the ministry of reconciliation. In the world we live in today, do we need some peacemakers? Do you think? <laughs> Not just peacekeepers. Well, we don't want a civil war in the U.S. We don't, I get all that. We, don't want, we obviously don't want one of those either. But guess what? We're not just called to be peacekeepers. Let's keep it. It is peacemakers like we've talked about before. Often in a home, we, we decide there's peace because there is no verbal conflict happening. That's not peace. It's just pushed down low. The peacemakers, we're called to be that. That's different. We got to step into the mess. We got to take some risk to being misunderstood. I thought the, the trade of the fruit of the spirit, the spirit of peace was I'd just be able to go, ah, I'm sitting out on the porch looking over this mountain and aren't things good? And that's part of it because I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with my family. I'm at peace with people I know. But there's also, also an action to it. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. What about joy? What if you chose joy? What if you got up each day and said, I am going to be grateful for what I've been given today? I choose joy. I'm not just setting what back. I'm not saying I can choose happiness necessarily, but I can choose joy. I, this is probably the one I struggle with the most. Choose doom and gloom too much. <laughs> uh, you know my saying that worry, I, I, I got a worry thread through me. Worrying must work because most things I worry about never happen, right? That's, that's, my, that's my approach in life. So I must be holding it off because if I hadn't of it, it would have happened, right? Silly. Instead of choosing joy because joy leads to gratefulness. And when I get on to gratefulness, how can I not have joy for what Christ has done for me? How can I not have that? When you really stop and think about it, when I still really sit down and begin to write out each day, what, is, what are my blessings? Not what are my didn't, why I didn't get what I wanted. What are my blessings? Because it's hard. I get it. What we're talking about here, didn't we talk about a few weeks ago? When you decided to make a change, there's a hard part. There's a real hard part. And you're talking about being transformed to the likeness of Christ, and you don't think there's not going to be a hard part? People give up. People stop. Because it's hard. And then sometimes we'd like to say, well, I did the best I could. No, you didn't. You just let yourself cop out. You didn't try the You didn't do the best you could.
having our minds renewed. John Acuff in, our, in, in one of his talks talking about that neuroplasticity. And I love this definition. The brain's ability to modify, change, and adapt both structure and function throughout life and in response to experience. And what I love about that word experience, what what does Dallas Willard say about Scripture? Never in Scripture is knowledge used just for intellectual. It's always experiential. You don't have the knowledge of God unless you're experiencing God. It's a shocker to some of you. You've got to be experiencing in a relationship and way down, as, as John Eldridge said yesterday, and I know I'm going to drive some of you crazy, but that's okay. Uh, in the shallows, in the Midlands, and in the depths, we don't spend enough time in the depths with a God speaking to our inner man, an inner woman, if you will. Disclaimer number six. Okay, sorry. But our minds really, truly can be transformed. They really, truly can be renewed. They really can. You can begin to think different. The the, the soundtracks that you've had in your life can be renewed to be something else. I love what he said. If you can worry, you can wonder. I hadn't been wondering enough. And I think sometimes, as Willard said, we think of transformation as an option that you could choose somewhere along the way. Okay, I'll choose that at some point. I'm going to heaven. I'll choose transformation somewhere. There really is no eternal life outside of transformation. And maybe a shocker to you. That is the path. If you're looking, as I've said over and over about Andy Stanley's, if, 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 if this here is chasing after God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbors yourself, if that's it, dying out to the self-centered self, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, it's that, that. You can't be walking that way and want to say you're, Wanting this. You can't keep walking away from God and saying, I want transformation and continue to walk here when there's the path. Can't do it, won't do it, ain't ever gonna happen. And quit, quit praying about it. <laughs> you say, Sometimes, Kurt, you told me to pray about it. Not about that. Because <laughs> that's the path. That, that is the path. Kindness. Nothing more frequently discredits our testimony and really our ministry than unkindness. I just thought about that. You know, kindness is a habit. And if you quit doing it, you quit being unkind. Do you walk through the day looking for ways to be kind? That's the reason why your language has to change. All of our language, our, what comes out of our mouth has to change. 
Because so much of what we do and say to people, whether it's kind or unkind, just comes right out of here. Yeah, it can come from the middle, middle of your hand too, I get it. I'm not going to do that, but you know what I'm talking about. Disclaimer number seven. But most of it comes out of here. It's really important that you let God transform your vocabulary. Your cadence. And the older you get, I'm going to say this, Gino, I'm calling you out. The older you get, the kinder you should be. Dr. Will Spate passed away this week. Many of you don't know Dr. Will, some do. One of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. His families, his kids are sitting here. If you think about Dr. Will, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, and he smelt like Jesus. And what's crazy about these habits of Jesus, are you don't just pick one and go, I like that one the best, so I'll just do that one. No, it's really got to be all of them. <laughs> just so you know, you're supposed to be doing all of them. <laughs> but some of them are more apparent than others. I just want to be grateful. You know, people, you know, people have asked me over the years, Kurt, what do you want to be known by? What, what's, the, what's the, you know, of course I want to be known you know, as, as a man of God, I want to be known as a hard worker. It's always been one of my deals. There's certain things, but I think over the years, the one that's come to me, I just hope I'm known that I was grateful. Because grateful kind of takes care of everything else. <laughs> I just want to be grateful. You know, I don't know if you know, and, and Brandon mentioned it earlier, talking about his boys. You know, when, when your kids are grateful, that's how I think of God. If I'm grateful to him, what do you want to do when your kids are grateful? And you want to figure out something else to give them. If you can trust them and they're grateful, you want to shower them with blessing. I want to be that kid in God's kingdom. I want him to trust me. And I'm not saying it's finances. I don't know what it's going to be, but I want to be that kid in his kingdom that he can trust. And I'm grateful and he will shower out his blessing on me and those connected to me. Because if he showers that on me, you'll get some, some smell of that, okay? <laughs> when I met Brother Paul, and Jan and I did many years ago, I didn't know about his mom's story. I didn't know that his mom, Minnie Holderfield, had laid out in a field after her son had died with booze and whiskey bottles and cigarette butts laying all over that field there in Arkansas. And she cried out to God. She said a light shined on her as she was laying there. And she said, God, if you'll give me another child, I will make sure they know you. Well, she had four more. Four more. And all of them became just like their daddy. Alcoholic, some abusive, like Brother Paul Sr. He wasn't Brother Paul at the time, Paul Sr. Became a racist, bigoted, drunk. Functional drunk. He was a great fireman. Functional drunk. You know some of those? Functional alcoholic. 
And she began to pray. That prayer she made in that field, laying amongst those whiskey bottles and those cigarette butts and making a promise to God, she didn't know that she was praying to change a community. She didn't know that she was praying to change people in Arizona. Friendly Chapel is called, Brother Paul calls us Friendly Chapel, Beverly Hills. That's what he calls us because <laughs> we're in the Biltmore area. Anyway, take care of what it's worth. <laughs> anyway, that's a fun name there. Anyway. But she made a decision laying in that field, a choice, a sacrifice. She never left her husband. He beat her. He threatened her. Gun pointed her head. I'm not recommending that. You got to do what you got. I'm just saying she didn't. And what she didn't know was that someday there'd be a movie made about her. I want you to watch this clip as we close. Heavenly Father, the biggest wish on my heart, my boy, my youngest, my Paul. Sure do appreciate your service today. How's your mom? Is that a friend of yours, Paul? No. I don't know him. Mrs. Holderfield. The x-rays came back. We saw some stuff. How long? A week, maybe less. Mama's in the hospital. I want you to do me a favor. <clears throat> I want you to take my prayer list with you to church on Sunday and pray for it. I respectfully decline. Have you considered you could go to church? Dear God. Oh, stubborn as I knew. And I also know you've got great things planned for him. The sit down between the chief of police and members of the black community ended in stalemate. You figure out just how many black fires you put out this morning? Go get it, boys! Please, come on! Go, go! We don't need you around here playing hero. And I ain't the one that needs safety. The world has gone crazy around us. You two closer to peas in a pod when you were kids. Jimmy, who are all these kids? I can't think of one verse in the Bible that commands these kids to come here to eat. But I can think of a bunch that commands me to feed them. Dementia and hallucinations are going to keep getting worse. She's waiting on something. If she's still sticking around, I'm sure she's got a good reason. My mama is laying dying of cancer and ain't nothing I can do about it. I feel like I'm being choked out by smoke. God's gonna change him. Don't you dare give up. My Paul, do me a favor. Take my prayer list to church and pray for it. I promise. <laughs> I'm going to guess most of us will never have a movie made about us. But that doesn't change the fact that for each of us, we are called to be transformed into his likeness. We're called to make a difference where God has placed us and let him figure out the results. Let him figure out what happens 40, 30, 50 years from now. Let him figure that out. But we have to make a decision now. 
past today. I love this Liz Bohannon quote as we close. I'm going to ask Josiah and him to come up as we put this on the board. And Liz Bohannon is somebody we had yesterday empowered. He said, I can't tell you what your first step is because here's the terrible and wonderful truth. You're entirely and completely unique and so is your path. You and your path are made up of every moment and every conversation you've had, everything that's broken your heart, every suture that's helped stitch that shattered heart back together and every crack that still exists, every idea you've had, every person you've loved, every trip you've taken, every neighborhood you've ever lived in, and every family member who's loved you and disappointed you, and every inside joke that makes you laugh until you cry and at the most socially unacceptable time. All of it culminates with you and in you. There is no one else who sees the world quite like you do. And where you're going, no one has ever been before. Because that's the terror and beauty of the path. Traveler, it's only made by walking. You've got to stop asking for directions to a place that doesn't yet exist. It's not necessarily... There's not necessarily a right first step. There are only the sacred steps that will make your path, but only if you begin to walk. I had no idea when I stepped out in that First Baptist Church in Hooks, Texas, in that aisle, and started walking towards the front. No clue. But I knew I'd taken the first step that was correct. That's where some of you are right now. I can't explain the ladder and all the things that went away. It disappeared. (laughs) It was over there a while ago. But all you need to know is the first step. And let God figure out the rest of it. Would you stand with me? We need you to do what God has called Renovation to church, church to do in this community. We need you. But we need you, and I feel there's, I will say this, there's a responsibility you have to the rest of us to live into that radical life. You just do. We need you. As we close and just sign them, lead us in song. The song we've kind of based this whole series on, Make Room. This radical transformation that Paul talks about, this radical change, this entire sanctification, this holiness, or letting God take over the whole house, whatever that is, it starts with the first step and laying it down, consecrating it, putting it all down, and then let him begin to figure it all these broken pieces let him put it back together but it starts with that first step Lord help us right now is really only you could do something like we just even watched on the screen only you only God but Lord even though we times seem like we hold brother Paul in some kind of high spot really I know in my own life and I'm probably the one doing the best out of this group 
He just inspired me because I could smell you on him. That he was just like the rest of us. We stepped into our story of transformation and let you begin to write it. Help our people right now as they are contemplating, I believe, that first step. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you feel led, please come to the altars this morning. Even if you've never done it, this may be the thing that trips you.
sing one more time through. For some of your first step, you'll sign up in the outside or you'll go to the men's or women's Bible study. We're all for that. We want you to be a part of that. That's one step. Some of you are going to give for the first time. You're going to begin to tithe. Part of what we do here. You're going to invite somebody to fall festival and you're going to, or fall kickoff, excuse me, I keep saying that, fall kickoff, and you're going to invite somebody, you're going to take those cards. First time ever you've asked somebody to come to something. It's a step for you. But for some of you today, singing this song may be a first step. Actually having the words come out of that and just say it and mean it. like the style of music not worried about that but the words do matter as much as our words can hurt someone they can also when you speak them out loud they have power and they can change your life and maybe those around you I'm going to sing one more time and we'll be out of here but sing with us sing with feeling if you believe I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. And I will make room for you, for you, to do whatever you want to. Would we allow him to shake up the ground? And shake up the ground of all my ambition. You are my life. You are my vision. Your way is better. Your way is better. And your ways are high. My ways are lowly. I lay me down. God, you are holy. Your way is better.
everyone comes with that one statement that all we need is you. That is the tipping point in our lives. And everything else flows from that. Lord, as we pray as we leave, if we've got areas in our life that are not broke and need to be, Lord, break them. That we can begin to be put back together to reflect you, smell like you, to a world who's so thirsty for it. Lord, if you promise us springs of living water flowing from within us, we are in a world that needs that. Help us be that in your name, Lord. We pray this. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. And go have an uncommon week in his name. Blessings. All I need is you, Lord, is you. Whatever you want to And I will make room